You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. Matt Levine and Lila Bromberg back to talk about Maryland men's basketball who are back in the top 10, fresh off five wins, and since so much has happened, we brought in some reinforcement this week. Yes, they did. I am Thomas Kinzora, editor emeritus, former managing editor of Testudo Times, and much like Texas football, I am back. Let's talk Terps. But is Texas football really back? I would argue not. No, and am I really back? Depends. <laughs> but but here we are. Um, yeah, Maryland basketball, doing things. Doing big things. Back to number nine, back in the top ten, all five wins. I mean, I think this team is, has found its groove and... It's it's really been the defensive effort for me. That's what I look at. Yeah, last week, Matt, we talked about how it seemed like Maryland was starting to hit its drive and get back into its groove, and now it's, you know, won five games. I kind of thought that Rutgers, I thought uh, Maryland would win, but it seemed in a way like it could be a trap game just because you always wonder if a team on its mind is going to be like, oh, kind of discounting Rutgers just because it's Rutgers, but uh, they showed up. It was, we'll get into that game. It wasn't always pretty at times, but... We discussed last week that, you know, maybe this team is backed at a level where it can really compete to be one of the best in the country. It seemed like throughout December and part of January, that was in question a little bit. But after this five-game stretch, besides some bad moments against Rutgers, I'm really starting to think that this team can, you know, do something later in March, closer to what we were discussing at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a duo of Jalen Smith and Anthony Cowan Jr., and really, I think they've been the two guys they've been going the last five games and that's how they've won all five the defensive effort from everybody but with Aaron Wiggins still struggling a little bit and Eric Ayala is struggling still they've still been able to win these five games and I think it's just a huge showing of how Jalen Smith and Anthony Cowan have been I think uh well this is actually my first time on on this podcast this whole season so really the whole season has just been they haven't really peaked yet. They, they've they all had these things like Aaron Wiggins' sh- shots haven't really fallen. Um, Eric Ayala has just, he, he's taken a step back. The depth that we thought, especially early in the season, was really going to be a strength of this team simply hasn't been. There are really six guys that Mark Turgeon trusts, and he says they're seven deep, but we're not really sure who seven is. And anyway. it depends on the night, of course, too. I mean, it's just been so on and off with that. Yeah, but it's it's, you know... A team that we thought might be like 10, 11 deep right. is is six, maybe seven, eight, nine, some nights. Um, and even some of those top six aren't what we thought they would be. And yet, they're 18 and four. They're eight and three in the Big Ten. And, you know, they don't have to play that well to win. And it doesn't take that much for them to just get hot. We saw early in the year they would get on one big run and just bury teams with that. And they've still been able to kind of do that in the Big Ten. Uh, we saw it against Rutgers, where they don't make a field goal for almost 12 minutes and just go on one real hot streak and take a lead, and they actually never give that lead back up. Yeah, and you know, I think that has been a concern with the bench. It seemed like Aaron Wiggins was coming back a little bit, but now it seems like he still is struggling with his shot. I mean, he took like 15 shots against Iowa, Um and he ended up with like a decent amount of points, but I mean, it, he had a horrible field goal percentage. So it's it's interesting. I think he definitely is not back in that slump. He seems to just be kind of like in the middle now, but if his team is going to do big things, they really need to have a lot of production from him. But 
going back to Anthony Cowan Jr. and Jalen Smith, I think we've obviously seen all season that they've been the big guys for this team. But especially with Jalen Smith, you've seen a resurgence of late and they've really just dominated on another level. Anthony Cowan Jr. just got Big Ten Player of the Week and Smith got it the week before, making them the first Maryland duo since 2007 to have back-to-back weekly honors. And that was with DJ Strawberry having it twice in a row. And then they both made the Wooden Award uh, late season top 20 watch list and Jalen wasn't even on that before. Cowan was left off the final for Bob Cousy Award, which we'll discuss, but they've been getting a lot of recognition, talks about National Player of the Year, um, obviously in their All-American status. What do you guys think of their chances for that and getting All-American at the end of the season? I think Jalen Smith is at least an honorable mention for All-American right now. He's five straight double-doubles. He's just been unstoppable on every side of the ball, really. Offensive, defensive, he's been amazing, and it's... The jump that he's made from even the beginning of the year, not just last year, but the beginning of this season, when I would talk about how he wasn't really that confident, now you see him screaming and yelling all the time and getting into altercations sometimes with the fans at Indiana and Northwestern. He pointed up to the scoreboard and tried to quiet the crowd, but that's the kind of player he's becoming. Is His game is really backing down that talk, and he's now being able to become a loud guy because he's just having such big and, and he's having monstrous games these days. He's really stopping every opponent that he comes across. And the Big Ten is now the conference of big men, it seems like. At first, kind of thought it was the guards with Cassius Winston, Anthony Cowan. But now it's really, you you think of Garza, you think of Coburn, you think of Jalen Smith. And he's really been able to compete well. Yeah, I mean, early in the year, it was Cowan who was playing at this All-American level. Um, Jalen Smith, these last few weeks, is playing at really as high a level as I've seen anyone play at Maryland at, for, for this extended period of time. I didn't watch all of Gravis, um, but, but it's, it, it's, the, it, you know, it, it's that far back. Um, he's, he's ninth on Ken Palm's player of the year list, which I mean, right, right next to Caleb Wesson, right around guys like Jordan Noir and Miles Powell, who, you know, we, we all knew kind of going into the season would be in that conversation. And Jalen Smith is right there. And yeah, it, Luca Garza, Caleb Wesson, Kofi Coburn, all these guys, and Jalen Smith has quieted to some degree. Like Luca Garza still had like 21 against Maryland, but Caleb Weston struggled. Um, Garza wasn't quite himself; he wasn't able to affect the game as much. A lot of other opposing bigs just haven't been able to to get it going. And Jalen Smith, on on both ends of the floor, I mean, he had five blocks a couple weeks ago. He had six blocks against Rutgers. He's playing as well on both ends of the floor as you could have really ever expected him to. Yeah, you mentioned that Anthony Cowan seemed like that guy earlier in the year, and it seemed earlier in the year, especially against Penn State and Seton Hall, that Jalen wasn't being aggressive enough in the paint and that he couldn't be that guy. And while you know a guy like Luca Garza is still able to score a decent amount on him, Jalen was able to draw a ton of fouls. He was able to have a ton of blocks and really play good defense, even in ways that don't show up on the score. Now he is able to... Um, have his own scoring as well and you look at those five straight double doubles he's averaging in that stretch 20.8 points 12.2 rebounds and 3.6 blocks you know he has 13 double doubles tied for six in the country and first in the big 10 and he's leading the big 10 in field goal percentage and three-point percentage in conference play I mean he's been about as good as you could ask for in conference play and like you mentioned, Matt, I really like seeing him have more personality and, you know, showing that things. And when, you know, you're having a guy like John Rothstein constantly tweeting that, you know, he's showing 
and playing like an all-american and he's showing up all these on all these lists i think it's really something we have to see and discuss because i mean if that was him at the beginning of a season and this is him now is there a possibility he reaches another level by the time we get to the end of this like is this his ceiling or is there more in store for him i mean it's hard to say what his ceiling would be at this point i mean we didn't really he got a lot better real quick. I mean, I don't think production-wise he could do maybe that much more, but if he can just kind of keep this sort of consistency, um, you know, obviously, I, I don't know how realistically high volume he could be. I don't think with, you know, with a guard-heavy team like this, I don't know if you could use him as heavy as Iowa uses Luka Garza. Um, you also just don't need to if you have Anthony Cowan sometimes. But just to have really to tie this together just to have both of those guys um you kind of have to have both of them not play that well to lose and for most of the season they're 18 and 4 so that that tells you what you need to know i think you just said it perfectly you really do need both of them because let's say one of them is struggling a little bit the other one's going to step up and that's how it's been and the games that they have lost it hasn't really been that both of them struggled it's been everybody has struggled and I think I mentioned it earlier that Ayala and Wiggins have still been struggling, but that doesn't really matter. And it shows that now that these two guys, Smith and Cowan, have just completely taken this team and they're running with it now. Yeah, and the confidence thing you mentioned I think is huge. After the Seton Hall loss, that was a huge thing that Turgeon talked about is saying that he wanted to find a way to get his guys more confidence. And Cowan is not really someone who goes back and forth with confidence, at least outwardly, so it's kind of hard to tell what's going on with him. But in terms of Jalen Smith, you're definitely seeing it more there. And I think that'll be huge down the line with the tournament in March. And, you know, with that one thing I wanted to mention before we get into the specific games is <clears throat> Maryland was just projected as the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament because they're currently tied for first place with Illinois. That'll be a huge game on Friday that we'll talk about. But the uh, basically initial bracket of what it would look like right now if the seeding happened today had Maryland as a number one seed, which would be the first time that that's ever happened uh, since joining the conference. I think that would be major for his team, but I have to ask, you know, Maryland has not had a good Big Ten tournament resume at all. Is this the year that they break that or do they fall into the same trap? I mean, if you get the one seed, like you get, you would get, you know, the eight or nine. So in that bracket, it's either uh, Purdue would be eight, Minnesota would be nine, and Maryland would would host the winner of that in the quarterfinal. Um, they've they've beaten Purdue, a host. They would, um, they've beaten Purdue this year. They play, I believe, at Minnesota um, in the next month. Very um, late game. It's at nine p.m. Excellent. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, could y'all imagine if they if they finally get the one seed in the tournament and they still can't? Like, they haven't won a conference tournament game since 2015, 2016. Um, Even when it was in D.C. It was in D.C. Uh, and they lost to Northwestern. Northwestern yeah. Uh, projected 14 seed this year, by the way. <laughs> um, of course, that Northwestern team made the tournament. This one will not. Um, so, yeah, like, it's such a small sample, but it's also a, a span of three full seasons. So, you know, we'd obviously, it's it's too early to say whether, you know, whether they're peaking at the right time or not, but if they're do if they're the number one seed, something's going right, and so I would think they would at least be heavily favored to win a conference tournament game. Yeah, you say a game, and one thing that concerns me there is then you would have likely uh, the five seed Iowa 
playing uh, Nebraska or Michigan, and then they would play Penn State, and the winner of that game would face Maryland. And, you know, Maryland was able to beat Iowa handedly at home, obviously lost badly to them on the road. I don't know how that'd be in, in neutral site. And then if it's Penn State, they lost badly to them on the road too. So those are two teams that I think could really cause Maryland some trouble. I mean, I, I feel like every team in this conference could that's true. cause that's, that's every true. team trouble. But <laughs> the I mean, one... you guys watched Northwestern, the, the like yes. 14th, yeah. last no, place team in the conference. No, this is going to be an insane tournament. Like, honestly, this is probably going to be the craziest Big Ten tournament there has been. 12-seed Michigan. 11 seed Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can't we can't we can't be having a 12 seed with Xavier Simpson. Like, that's not that's not right. <laughs> Come I, on now. That, there's so much that can go right for Maryland, and there's so much that it could also go wrong. I mean, you could have Cowan and Smith both put up 20 point games, and they could still lose. So it, it the thing is that those guys need to put up those games for them to win. But it's their defense that's gonna in the end. That's what's gonna win and that's what happened yesterday against Rutgers they were able to win from their defense and it didn't seem like that because they couldn't they couldn't score and, and Rutgers was pretty much hitting everything it almost seemed like but then it kind of stopped and it was 25-20 at halftime I think that was the lowest scoring half of all we've seen all year so if they could do that in the tournament but have a little bit more offense I think if their defense stays like this they can probably escape Iowa escape Penn State if they stay in this part of the bracket so we discussed, I believe it was last week, who we thought would be at the top of the Big Ten standings at the end of the season. Looking at this bracket right now, if the bracket were to be like this, what team do you think can win it all? Obviously, like we said, it's probably we're probably not even going to be pl- close. This is probably going to be an insanely crazy Big Ten tournament, especially because it's at a neutral site. But if you're looking at this right now, what team wins it all? Ten seed Indiana. <laughs> Why not? I mean, taking a ten seed team. could win He's this year. taking the home team. Why not? Like, I don't know. I mean, we saw Rutgers make a run in Madison Square Garden when it was there. We saw um, Maryland not make a run in D.C. I don't know. Like, you could pick anybody. That, I mean, that that's kind of the Just spin the a wheel, just, you know? I did, and it landed on 10-seed Indiana. <laughs> I mean, for me, Michigan State was the prohibitive number one team in the country, like, going into the season. And they've been good for a lot of the year and then really shaky at a lot of points. Like, they've lost two in a row right now. They lost at home. Uh, for the first time a conference play to Penn State. Which put Maryland in first place. Yes. And so, you know, Maryland and Michigan State still have to play each other home and home. So, like, a lot of stuff can happen. Like, I, I think Michigan State's still kind of the default answer for everybody. And, but but Maryland's making a case. I don't, you know, we're, we're a homer podcast, whatever. But um, I, I was always really high on Illinois, too. And they've got a lot of the right pieces for that. Um, I don't know. Just go down the whole list. You you kind of like everyone if you look at them hard enough. Matt? I agree. I, I kind of like everybody, but <laughs> I think the easiest path right now is Michigan State. If, if it stays the way it is, they would have they would be the number three seed, so they'd have a double bye, and then they'd have to play the winner of – or the winner of Northwestern Ohio State would play Rutgers, and then Michigan State would play them. I think that is easier almost than where Maryland is right now. If this all stayed the same, obviously, it's, it's going to change, but – what Maryland has right now, we mentioned, is that they'd probably play, if they win, they'd probably play Iowa or Penn State, and I think that's a much tougher matchup than playing Ohio State or Rutgers. So that would be in the corner quarterfinal, but I, I, I think the default pick also right now is Michigan State, but I think Illinois is slowly making a case. I don't think people really think they're legit right now, but I certainly do. They have the guard play and they have the big forward, so that's what Maryland also has, and I think both those teams can make the case 
with Michigan State. So I'm taking either Maryland, Illinois, or Michigan State. I'm not picking one because I don't want to be wrong. Great. Good job. You're still going to be wrong. <laughs> still going to be wrong. <laughs> still wrong. Yeah, I think those three are definitely like in contention and up there. But I think it is worth noting that Michigan State did beat Illinois handedly 76 to 56. That was at Michigan State. And obviously, as we've talked about, road games definitely play a factor in this Big Ten. But, you know, they would potentially have to face each other in this. But I'm going to say Illinois or Michigan State. I'm, I think Maryland could, but just given their history in the Big Ten tournament, that worries me. I'm going to give a sneaky argument for Penn State here just because I feel like we're, we're not talking about them hard enough. They did just go on the road and beat Michigan State. Um, Penn State has, has a home loss to Wisconsin, but road wins over Michigan, Nebraska, and Michigan State. Michigan, I believe, was ranked at the time of that game. Yeah. Um, and so there are only three Big Ten teams that have two more road wins than home losses. Um, Illinois is three up. They haven't lost at home. Maryland is two up. They haven't lost at home. Penn State does have a home loss, but has three road wins in the league to be two up, essentially. So um, in a league where road wins are so hard to come by, Penn State is is really the one with already three of them um, and more impressive a resume than maybe anyone other than Illinois, I think. It's going to be an interesting tournament for sure. I'm definitely looking forward to it. You know, Matt, you were saying before before uh, this week's podcast on the last week, before Maryland played Iowa, you were saying that you thought Iowa was going to win the entire Big Ten. So uh, do you still feel that way after uh, Maryland beat them? I, I don't. I think there's a <laughs> chance that they, they can win the regular season title. but Well, yeah, that's what you said last week. Do you still think they can win that? I, I still think they can win the regular season title. I don't think they have the postseason experience to win the Big Ten tournament. But the way Luca Garza obviously has been in when Wieskamp literally doesn't miss any shots, it's just it's, like I don't think it. They, I, there's a chance that they don't get stopped, and Maryland did stop them somehow. But that was before Maryland played them at home, and we were discussing the game that was in Iowa against the Terps, and that was Maryland's worst performance of the year, and it might have been Iowa's best. So I think that was a little of a of a hot take for me to 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 say on that, but I I think there's there's a chance that. Really, any any of the teams one through five right now, Iowa being the fifth, I think could win the regular season title. Right, and looking at that Iowa game, I think you could argue that that was Maryland's biggest win of the season, 82-72 win, second win over a ranked team this year. You know, we mentioned Luca Garza being able to contain him a little bit, and you mentioned Wisecamp, who just exploded against Maryland away, but this time around, Maryland was able to limit him on five for 14 shooting. Like, he finished with 17 points, but, I mean, he's missing the majority of his shots and getting five of his points from the line. So I thought that was huge for Maryland as well. And it was just everything you want to see in a college basketball game in terms of two teams really being neck and neck and back and forth the entire time until Maryland was able to go on a run late. I think it's so important for Maryland to play home games because these games get so packed, and I don't know if there's a better arena to play at in the Big Ten. Maybe even in the country. That's a hot take, too. That is a hot take. 16,369 was the attendance on this stat sheet that we have over here. So I think that really propelled Maryland to stop Garza. They didn't really stop Garza, but most of his points came in garbage time. And he had four fouls. Yeah, he was in foul trouble early, but he, I think he had 11 points 
somewhere late in the fourth quarter and then just hit a couple threes and got to the free throw line. But he, they were able to stop them better than they did in Iowa because of the crowd behind them. And I think that's so important for Maryland. They, and they say it every game, just like the, the students and the fans, are, everyone's so loud. That place, you literally can't hear anything. It's and, so hard to write. Like when the games are like this, I forgot. And then we had an Iowa game that was like pretty much almost sold out. And we're sitting there trying to write. And I'm like, Cody and I just ended up just texting on Slack because it was so loud. You could not hear a single thing that was going on. I will say that was the best environment I've seen at, at Xfinity Center in years. Really? Yes. Easy. They had, I mean, they had the, the they had a good theme going. They they executed the theme very well. This Jurassic Park. Though no one was in a dinosaur costume. I was there told there's going to be some. No, but I was told there's going to be like a person on the court in an inflatable dinosaur costume, and I was lied to, and I was very yeah, upset. Yeah, okay, that did not happen. Um, but they did. They did do the like the eating Iowa fans on the jumbotron with with the uh, T Rex. And they had like the Jurassic Park car. Too. Yes. Um, no, I mean, so that was one of the more electric atmospheres that College Park's had in a while. I mean. You know, you can't bank on that every single night, but Maryland comes close a lot. And it's always been, you know, a tough place for, for other teams to play. And I mean, they're what, 12, 13 and 0 at home this year? Like, it's 13 that, 0, yeah. That, that should speak for itself. Uh, the other two things from this game uh, we mentioned uh, Wieskamp kind of struggling and, and Luca Garza's foul trouble. I want to point out that Maryland just locked down really all of Iowa's perimeter players very, very well. That's very Iowa true. started four of seven from three and I think made four the rest of the game and um Joe Toussaint was locked down CJ Frederick was locked down and that's that's Marcel that's Ayala that's Wiggins that's Cowan all really good one-on-one defenders stopping their man when in Iowa they could not do that and Cowan had a career high 31 points in that game and he's the first Maryland player to score 30 plus points twice in the same season since 2011-12 which seeing that set surprised me because I was convinced that Mello had done it before, but I guess not. He is just moving up on the leaderboards. It seems like every single game. He also had six rebounds and six assists in that game, and you know was really good. Nine for fifteen from the floor, uh, ten for eleven from the three throw line, and Jalen Smith eighteen and fourteen. At the time, was his fourth straight double double, five blocks, only missed three shots the entire game. So when you have your two leading scorers who are basically missing a combined like seven shots that's that's pretty huge yeah i mean that was the best game i think cowan may have ever played at maryland he Um, was so good he was like nine of 15 he's just for someone who has the ball in his hands that much and and takes that kind of volume of shots he has i I don't know if he i think he maybe had one or two games this year where he was above 50 percent before that one you know that that's 60 percent and then uh the foul line 10 of 11 you know even three of eight from three which he was kind of disappointed. Yeah, he, he didn't like after that the after the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but and then I think he had one, just one or two turnovers, and so just this sort of complete performance. And we mentioned his defense. Um, I mean, when Callen plays like that, and when Smith plays like that at the same time, uh, Maryland's just not really going to lose a lot of basketball games to anybody. And I mean, credit to Iowa for being, you know. Definitely off their game. Garza was in foul trouble that whole night. As we mentioned, all the uh, perimeter guys uh, were able to knock their shots down, but they still kept it within reach. And Morcel, too. I mean, he didn't take a lot of shots, but he also was really good from the floor. He only had 10 points, but he was 4 of 6. 
and he had four rebounds, two blocks, and two assists as well. And then, you know, we mentioned Wiggins. He went uh, just, you know, five for 18 from the floor. I mean, to take 18 shots in a game is just ridiculous, um, especially for someone who isn't carrying the ball up the court. Um, and, you know, he went two of nine on threes, but he still manages 14 points and five rebounds. Yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those deals where they were all pretty much all pretty good looks. Um, and they're leaving him open because he's missing them. And so yeah. it's like, well, you know, just it becomes a mental thing. do what you're going to do and take another one. And, you know, maybe it's mental. Maybe he was just off that night, whatever the case. Like, you know, it obviously didn't end up haunting them. They won by double digits. So and, and Wiggins, it, it's been kind of the story of his season is that his shooting has been weirdly off, but he's improved his game in all other areas that he's still able to positively impact uh, both ends of the floor, even if he's not getting his shots to fall. And you mentioned that if Thomas, you mentioned that if Smith and Cowan play like this, they're really not going to lose. They combined for 49 of the 82 points in this game. That's how much Maryland had also last time they're at Iowa, which is kind of yeah. just, just such a funny stat. I love when stats line up like that. I think that's nearly 60% if I'm doing my math right, but that's just they're I just said it earlier they're not they're not going to lose if they play that well and it's really that duo that is carrying them I mean back to back Big Ten Player of the Week awards maybe we'll get another one if Jalen Smith dominates at Illinois but I think they they have a chance to do three in a row and and this is just a team that can really run away with it it almost seems like but again the Big Ten is just so good so I don't really know but it's just so hard to say that they could lose a game if they're playing that well. I will say Maryland seems determined to find out how many teams they can beat with only three guys playing well. <laughs> like, I mean, we, we've gone through the whole, like, if you remember the Wisconsin game, it was Cowan, Smith, and Wiggins off the bench. Mm -hmm. Those three guys played well. Everyone else was like two for a million. Um, and this game, uh, it's those three guys scoring at least 14 against Rutgers, which I'm, I know we're going to talk about more. It was three guys scoring at least 14 and I don't think anyone else had more than like six. So it's, it's been kind of weird that way, but when it's those three or when, when those two are among the, you know, the three, you're, you're going to be all right. Well, the thing that stands out to me, right? You have this Iowa game where it's a really back and forth game. You have six lead changes. The game is tied three times. Um, Maryland's able to go on a 10-0 run, is able to lead by 13 at one point in the second half. But, you know, so you've had a game like this where it's really back and forth, an offensive game. We've had games where it's back and forth in a really defensive game that you saw uh, with Rutgers, which we'll get into. You've seen games where Maryland comes out hot and then really doesn't do well in the second half, but still finds a way to win at the end. You've seen a game where Maryland basically trails the entire time, but gets it done. Like, You've seen this team, and then you've seen Maryland just completely dominate people. Like, you've literally seen Maryland win in every possible way there is to win a game. Like, I can't think of another way or sequence, like, to win a game. And I think that's huge that they've found a way to win in all these different scenarios of games. That's what indicates to me positive to uh, positive things down the line is that they've able, no matter the type of game, they've been able to pull it out. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at, like, 82-72 and 56-51, if you can do both, you know, and some games are, are higher, you know, faster paced. Some games are slower paced. They've big 10 play. A lot of teams kind of slow you down. Wisconsin and Purdue do that. Rutgers, I, I believe did that. Um, and then Indiana, that game was kind of slow, but both offenses were on fire. That game was 77, 76, 
they won that too. And so, yeah, I mean, they're able to, these are the kind of games that lesser Maryland teams have found ways to lose. And this team has found ways to win. Yeah, for sure. I think you mentioned, you know, that past Maryland teams would find ways to lose. And I think a thing that I remember seeing just, you know, all growing up watching Maryland, especially like the last two seasons covering them uh, more in depth, was that a lot of times Maryland would have a lead and give it up late. And in a scenario where, um, you know, like you mentioned against Indiana or some other teams where the other team is able to come back a little late, Maryland's still able to seal the deal. And they did it against Rutgers, which we'll get into. And I think that's a really, really good thing to see that they're not only able to stop a team when they're trying to come back, but they're also able to be that team that is going to come back and have that victory late. Like that's, that's really, really a good indication for late on in March because there's just so many different types of games and scenarios you'll face and they know that they're battle tested and that they found their way through different ones. And I think someone said something at some availability about, you know, just this team wants to do whatever it takes to win and they're going to do whatever it takes to grind it out. Yeah, and and for what it's worth, the losses that have all been games, I believe, where they've just put themselves in too big a hole. The mm-hmm. Wisconsin game was the only one where they had a lead late and and made some mistakes. Um, in similar game sense, they they have flipped that script. They've been the team that forced mistakes. Um, so so credit to them for that. And you know, it, it's been the slow starts are weird. And if if we're judging the whole season by March Big Ten tournament NCAA tournament. Like these sorts of random flops can happen if you fall behind too fast too early, but it over the course of the Big Ten season, I mean, they haven't started that slow recently, so that's that's a plus. The one thing I've found was weird is like they've had some games where they start fast and then it like goes back to the slow. Yeah, thing. the Rutgers game. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's just talk about the Rutgers game. Let's do it. Well, first of all, like Rutgers, like a big game. What what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, Rutgers. <laughs> Rutgers was almost ranked, and they they were ranked earlier in the season. Like they were first ranked, time they since were ranked last week. They yeah. were ranked last week. Um, lost a quote unquote road game at the Garden to Michigan. I don't know how how Michigan ended up being a home team for that, but um, so because Rutgers lost that, uh, they were not ranked for this game. But but they're a tough team, and and we saw they are very good defensively. Steve Peichel. Um, has his guys play hard for 40 minutes, you know, all the cliches, but it's, it's, it's true. And so, but Maryland took this 14, six lead and then just stopped, stopped making shots. They had, it was so bad. Uh, and like Rutgers makes a little bit of a run when Maryland, uh, takes out the starters, um, kind of brings in all the, the, the seven, eight, nine guys all at once, which, you know, debate, debate the merits of that as you will. I honestly think that was a terrible decision. I think that's part of what led to that scoring drought a bit. I, I, I mean, I think Turgeon has done a lot better job with a lot of things this year, but that's not a smart substitution. And I really think that that played a huge factor in why they went down. Yeah, I mean, they were they were still up when those guys came out, but then, you know, maybe it had something to do with other guys getting out of rhythm, whatever the case. But um, it was mostly the starters on the floor when from the nine twenty one mark, in the first half to the end of the first half, I don't know. I have the possession counter here. Do you guys want to? Do you guys want to hear it? Let's let's hear this. All right. So Maryland. Uh, from this was a great tweet, by the way. From nine twenty one to the end of the first half, missed three turnover, missed three missed layup, missed three turnover, turnover, missed three turnover, missed three, missed three. 
two block layups and Cowan hit two free throws. That's all one possession. Um, I wrote miss three. That was a two point jumper from Jalen Smith at the top of the key, uh, a blocked layup. And then Wiggins goes to the line for a one and one and gets fouled. And that's nine twenty one. That's nine twenty one. That's 15 possessions, two points, no field goals. Um, and then in the second half, two straight turnovers, a blocked layup and a miss three. So they go 11 and 1141 without a field goal with just two points. And they're down five after this. That is what astonished me. I think it tweeted at the end of the half, like, it's crazy that a team cannot score a field goal for nine minutes and 21 seconds and be down five points. I mean, and a lot of that is credit to their defense. The, the defense, Entirely. I defense, mean, really. Oh, of course. I mean, and the defense has done this all year. They've kept them in these games that they've had no business being in. If you remember how badly they played at, at Penn State, if you remember how badly they played at Seton Hall, they had real chances at the end of those games. They almost won that Seton Hall game. Like, it was going down to the final wire. Yeah, I mean, they had a shot to tie, I think. I think they might have had a shot to take the lead. Yeah, they did. And, of course, they missed them because they missed everything that night. It happens. Um, they had more shots blocked that night than they made field goals. But this is not a Seton Hall podcast. Um, so, yeah, like, that's the, you know, that's the Maryland we know and love, is the Maryland that just kind of disappears and can't get in the lane. I mean, in that whole sequence of 921, like, they only really took two or three two-point shots. They're settling for threes and then turning the ball over when they do try to get the ball inside. Um, I don't know. But then they snap out of it, and then you get... They start to get in transition a little bit. They have a run in the second half where... Some monstrous dunks. Where, yeah, so Morcel gets a dunk, Morcel gets a layup, uh, and then Jalen Smith hits a three. Jalen Smith gets that thunderous and one murder scene dunk, does the flex, does everything. Yeah, check out Sarah's gallery and some of the photos that we have up. She got some incredible stuff of that. that yeah, a lot of fun stuff. Um, that's a, that, that was a 12-2 run that swung the game, and they were up five all of a sudden, and... You know, they, they just, they stretched it, I believe, as far as eight and just kind of held on. I mean, Rutgers tied it late and had a chance to take the lead late, but Maryland had just enough. And you mentioned when referring to that scene hall game, like the Maryland team we know and love of being this team, it just kind of disappears. I think one thing that was funny, it was either late last week, early this week, uh, Andy Katz posted like his top 10 toughest teams to figure out. And before I even clicked on it, I was like, Maryland has to be number one on this list and of course it was and that was before like I think that was before the Iowa game but it just like it's it's funny to me like I was kind of wondering is it just like us on the beat that we're like so in this and like been covering so many games that it feels like such of a roller coaster and weird season but it seems like everyone around the country is seeing that too but I think in seeing a game uh, like this against Rutgers where you can go that long without scoring and still pull out the win I mean that's a really big vote of confidence for me in what this team can do. You you couple that sort of, un, not unpredictability, but sort of, there's an oddness about all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you combine that with uh, the passion of this fan base. And so anytime things start to go wrong, it's, everything's falling yeah. apart. <laughs> and, but, but then I guess just over the last decade or so, like things have, you know, there, there haven't been enough big results that people are optimistic at times like this. I feel like you've had some this year, though. Some this year, but it's, you know, it's college basketball. You kind of get remembered for what you do in March, even if it's not the most indicative of what a successful season should be. Exactly. And so, I don't know, that that's a whole other can of worms that will probably uh, open later. But 
for Maryland to, and also Maryland didn't make a field goal for the last 533 of this game. So that's two separate. Their defense was so good. Two separate droughts combining 17 minutes in a 40 minute game. And you beat a top 25, top 30, really, team in the Big Ten. That's it's decent. You take it, you take it and run if you can do that. I think it's so interesting how they're able to win a game like Iowa, so high scoring, and just a figure like Luca Garza, someone like that. But with Rutgers, they don't really have a guy that kind of sticks out that much, at least. And it's a game where they win 56 51. That's such a big difference in the amount of points offensively and defensively. And Marcel said it after the game. It was like a, a dog fight or a grit fight, whatever, whatever street he said. Street fight. It. Street fight, whatever he said about it. So I think that's kind of very uh, – it's it's a big thing to look at from every aspect, a fan, someone covering this team, whatever. But the fact that they're able to win games so in such different storylines, I think that's very important when it comes to be March, when they play a game in such high intensity the whole time where – it could be a high-scoring game or a low-scoring game, but they have the confidence, or they should have the confidence in March to know that they can win a game no matter what the storyline is. Yeah, you mentioned that Rutgers doesn't really have that guy, but their leading scorer, Ron Harper Jr., I mean, like you said, he's not really that guy. I mean, he's 11.6 points per game, but they limited him to six points on three of nine shooting. He missed all of his triples. Um, so, I mean, we've seen that again and again this season where Maryland can limit um, the other team's best players, especially... Um, when they're, you know, a guard player. And I think that's going to be huge with some of the teams that they might have to face down the line. I think that'll be huge whenever they play Michigan State. I think that'll be a big factor. Um, Illinois, which we'll get into, is kind of harder because you their best players are bigger. But the one thing that I also want to talk about from this game that sticks out to me is Troll Mariel hadn't played in three games prior to this. And he did play. He got in a little bit early. I believe it was when, like, 12 minutes were left in the first half. But I mean, he just didn't look great. He finished with minus seven. Um, he really only played like two minutes. And that's, I think I had to know in the back of my mind at the beginning, once we knew about the injury, that it was going to be really slow getting back. But then you had that one, his first game back where he looked really good. And I got really excited about it. I thought he was going to be on this up- upward trajectory. And we've heard from Turgeon that he's dealt with some back issues and sprains and just, you know, other things because he's not played in so long. But I mean, what do we think about, is he going to be a factor in March? I mean, at this point, it seems to me like he isn't. I mean, I thought he would be towards the end of the season, but now as we kind of get down the stretch a little bit, I'm not so sure. I think Jalen Smith's going to have to start playing. I mean, he, he played thirty almost 38 minutes against Iowa. 37 against 37 Rutgers. 37 against Rutgers. I think maybe in March you'll see a little 39 or 40-minute performance out of him. I, I mean, you got to get those like two Joshua Tamani experiences. Yeah, that, that's where I think the, the other one or two minutes are going to come from. But I don't think you can put Chol in in a situation like March where y- you don't really know. Nobody really knows how he's going to perform. And I think that's the big question is he just hasn't played in so long. If you have to put him in a game where they need to win that game, I don't know what Turgeon would do in that situation. But I think you really don't know how he's going to play. I and mean, that's too risky almost to, to put him in. I mean, certainly in his in his current form. And yes. um, I mean, he's going to be so good next year, but yeah, yes. right now. When yeah, I mean, he's just, he's just not healthy. there right now. And it's it's kind of hard to round into form at this stage of the season. Um, 
And yeah, he he did look good against Bryant because Bryant doesn't have anyone who's seven two. I mean, yeah, that's a really um, good point too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, even against like Indiana and Ohio State, those first couple. Yeah, of Big I thought Ten he was good games, against Ohio State. He he did look good in those games, and that's against like Caleb Wesson. But he's just he's not as quick as he needs to be. He's not as fluid as he needs to be. And the timing um, is off. Yeah, he, he just doesn't have uh, the timing and the feel for the game that you would need to have to be super productive. Um, you can still debate whether that version of Shoal Mariel or Joshua Tamayich is a better option. I would uh, go door number three and say, play Ricky Lindo at the five. What the hell? He's got length. <laughs> at 6'8", um, you want to play him at the five? Yeah. I mean, or 6'9". Tamayich is the same height, and he's not as quick, and he's not as long. So uh, so that's, so that's, that's kind of where I am with that, but I mean, that's what you have Jalen Smith for, and that's in that's what you once upon a time had uh, Makai and Mikel Mitchell for. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, it, it's these sorts of things that, you know, going forward, like Mark Turgeon after even, you know, these last couple games is still just kind of down about his team's depth, which we thought early in the year was going to be such a strength. And he, he trusts six guys and it's, you know, it's Lindo played four minutes. Sorrell Smith played seven minutes against Rutgers. Um, Shul Mariel played two. Josh, Josh Tamayich played one. You know, it's just... Can you get a little bit out of Lindo and Sorrell Smith were were kind of seven and eight last year, and it was them breaking through as competent role players that sort of changed what Maryland could become last year. And if they can do that again this year, then you know Maryland's looking at being eight deep again, and um, it, it just really changes what they can be. I mean, we've seen stretches where um, Sorrell and Ricky were good, I believe. It was Northwestern, right, where they like scored all the teams like first, you know, a few points of the game and looked really good there. But I think a lot of it too is when you're not in a game for a significant amount of time, it's hard to find your rhythm and to find where you want to take your shots. I mean, it takes guys a little bit to get into that, and so I think it's harder when you know these other guys are playing so well for them to find that groove. Yeah. But yeah, I mean. I don't think you see Chol play more than five or six minutes in a game until he's really, you know, at his stage. I just, I just feel so bad for the kid. I mean, he, you know, has just been through so much over the past couple of years, such a sweet guy. And so, but I, I agree with Turgeon. I'd rather put his health first and and really allow him to be this incredible player down the line and instead of, you know, forcing him in, in action when he's really not ready and it's not going to help the team. Yeah, I mean, and... At the very least, he's you know, Shulmeriel is is just a very upbeat soul. He's, he's uh, he cracks he's, me he's up the on the bench, kid. yeah. And so you know, he's still smiling with his with his with his friends on the bench. So um, you know, obviously, he really wants to be out there, and Maryland definitely wants him capable of being out there. But um, if you can't do it, you just can't do it, and it happens. Watch them just like not play him a bunch, and then. You know, he's secretly getting back the form. They're not going to, like, tell us much about it. And you're going to come to, like, the Big Ten tournament in March and, like, a team is not going to have scouted against him because he isn't playing and he's suddenly playing, like, 10 minutes. If you're going to randomly deploy him, do it against Michigan State at home. Ooh. Not only will that throw Michigan State off, but the fans love Chole, so they get it'll so get excited. them so crazy. That that's gonna be an electric game in itself, but if, it better be college game. If they day. just if they just throw Chol out there randomly, that place is gonna erupt. That that's the that's you know that's the non basketball argument for putting yeah. him in anyway. Is just 
momentum and fan Well, yeah, I mean, and... fans just, they get into it. And if he does anything, they'll get especially into it because he's the, he's this giant seven foot two teddy bear. Like <laughs> My favorite thing is seeing him warm up. And I mean, they have like all these little kids out there that do the warmups. And so he's just shooting and like, they're trying to like get the rebounds on his dunks and like his shooting. And he's just so much taller than them. Like the ball is like bouncing above their head. It's like the most comical thing I've ever seen. It's so adorable. But yeah, we're talking about that home energy, but Maryland is about to go back on the road to play at Illinois. They've had two at home. They had two road wins before this home stretch. The question now is, can they do it again against, you know, a really good Illinois team, number 20 in the country, as we mentioned, tied for first 10. Um, That was a very close game when Maryland played them on December 1st. That was the first conference game, so obviously a lot has changed, but do we think the road streak continues before we get into like the specifics? Oh, look at this. Maryland against a ranked team on the road. This was the big discussion last year because <laughs> Mark Turgeon did not win against a ranked team on the road until last year at Maryland. I think it was Maryland's... They beat Iowa uh, last year in Iowa City when Iowa was like 23 or 24. Maryland was around the same. But it was Maryland's first road win against a ranked team since 2008 before Testudo Times was born. It, it like, it was that, you know, it's been that long. And so now this is the first of those tests that, that they've had this year. Um, and Illinois is a team that, you know, they punched them in the mouth at Xfinity Center. And this was before we realized Illinois was any good because uh, they had just... Um, I had an inkling. I, I knew they had some some potential just because of the talent on the roster, but the their season until... Uh, the winning streak they had in January. It just wasn't there. Um, you know, they lost to Miami. They lost to some other, you know, solid but Hey, don't underestimate Chris Lakes. Just don't <laughs> underestimate Chris Lakes in Miami. Aunt Count and I will always be rooting for Miami and Chris Lakes. We... And, and and George Mason legend, uh, Jim Laranaga. Like, yeah, I, I like Miami too, but I really Illinois wanted Miami to have a better season this year. I really did. Anthony Count and I, like, almost, like... Anthony Cowan almost bet Daryl Morsell that, like, Miami was going to beat Duke, and I was telling him to do it, and I'm really glad he didn't because they lost by 30. But, like, we have confidence in Miami. And I'm sad they're not making the tournament because I really, really want to see Anthony Cowan and Chris Likes playing against each other again. We'll see if we can swing that. We'll see. Go Canes. <laughs> um, yeah, so so this game, again, um, you know, Jalen Smith was not playing at the level he is now. Not even and... close. And Kofi Coburn kind of had his way early in that game. Um, since then, uh, for Illinois, it's been a lot more of Iodesumu. Um, he's hit all the big shots and all the big moments. Um, he was really the one who killed Maryland at Madison Square Garden last year. Fun fact about Iodesumu, uh Brandon Simberg, who is our men's lacrosse writer uh, and also writes basketball for the left bench, he was on the same club team as him. Uh, in high school they played high school basketball together Brandon's actually like Brandon's actually pretty good at basketball and so like they uh, not played... Iodesumu good yeah yeah but they he was good enough to be on the same team as him is what I'm saying and like Brandon started like it's not like he was on the same team and riding the bench no like he was in the starting lineup with this kid I'm just saying I'm just saying fun facts you know I saw I saw his tape it was pretty decent all right so so anyway Brandon <laughs> will be on our podcast next week so um <laughs> Yeah, so 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 it's been those two, and then Trent Frazier, and then this group of uh, Andres Feliz, Alan Griffin, Kipper Nichols, th- th- just the really solid rotation that has name. that has just blossomed uh, this year into uh, what what we feel like it 
It could be. Oh, uh, Georgie Bashan is really too. I just had to. Wow, that's an impressive. Pronunciation. I had to show you. Wow. I had to show you guys that I could pronounce that name. I I'm not gonna attempt it. I'm just gonna let you say it the rest of the podcast. Yeah. Him and uh, I, I like how they had both him and Sandro Mamukelishvili on the roster this year, but uh, Mamukelishvili from Seton Hall did not play in that game. So what a shame. Yeah, names are hard to pronounce. Georgia, the country, <laughs> represent. Okay, um, but yeah, I mean, we mentioned that like. You mentioned Illinois just, like, brought it in that game, and they did. I mean, Maryland won late on an insane three from Anthony Cowan Jr. from the Gary Williams logo. After the game yesterday, like, I, we were out just, like, playing basketball on the court. It was late. We were kind of delirious just kind of playing. And um, I go to where the logo is, and I'm like, how the hell did he make this shot? Because, like, obviously I'm thinking it while we're covering the game and uh, writing about it, and everyone's freaking out. But you, like, actually go on the court and you just take a moment to realize how far away that is, like, Maryland easily could have lost that game. Easily. I mean, they were down 16, I think, at one point in that game. Yeah, and 14 15. at the half. I think it might have been 15 at one point. So, yeah, but for them to erase that, I mean, and it took them the entire second half to erase it. And it was kind of by a miracle that, like, it was an extra Illinois screw-up that enabled them to even lead in regulation, let alone win. Um, but... You know, that kind of, it set the tone for what Illinois has, has become. And it, in a way, set the tone for what Maryland has become. A team that finds a way to win these games that sometimes they don't really have as much of a business winning. Um, but, yeah, so Cowan and Smith against Desumu and Coburn plus Frazier. That's, that's there's some real star power in this. Um, I believe It's going to be such a good game. I believe so the excited. last Maryland game at Illinois was the game where they were up 18 in the second half and then blew it but won in overtime despite not getting a stop on defense in overtime my heart cannot handle overtime for this game like there's already enough going into this game where like the person who wins this game is going to be first place because Maryland already beat Illinois if they win they're pretty much locked in for number one seed if them and Illinois are still at the top of the conference at the end of the season like I cannot, my heart cannot handle overtime for this game. And like, I'll be there. So please don't let that happen. Like, that's just going to be too much. So we're, so we're going to go to quintu uh, quintuple overtime on Friday Yeah, night. I probably should not have said that, but. Nope. Uh... nope. Um, <laughs> anything else that you are really excited to watch in that game? I just want to say that I think this game feels a little bit different than the other road games kind of have. And I think that's because Maryland beat Northwestern. They beat Indiana. But those games, you were still kind of nervous. Like, oh. Are they going to lose on the road again? And this one kind of feels, even with a better team, a much better team in Illinois, much better opponent, I think it feels kind of different. Like, I think I'm thinking Maryland can win this game. And I didn't think that against Indiana. Yeah, before the storyline, we would always have, like, and we would get annoyed with ourselves because we didn't want to keep doing it for three things to know for the previous. But because it was such a big storyline, one of them would always be, can Maryland get that first one on the road? All of this. And, like, I haven't even really thought that thought as much with this game. The thought more in my mind is what the impact this has in the Big Ten and just the matchups and things like that. And so it's nice to just not have to think about that. And I think that'll be good for the team, too, is to know, look, we've won two on the road. Let's just focus on this game and this matchup and, you know, hopefully not have all this, you know, talk and that thought lingering in the back of your mind. I think... Is there some truth to Maryland has less to lose in this game than it did in those other road games? Yes. Like Penn, yes. You know, the Penn State game, that was their first loss of the season in their first road test of the season. Seton Hall was without its two leading scorers at the time. 
Um, and Iowa was coming off a loss to Nebraska. Wisconsin was just, you know, kind of shaky. Um, Northwestern, they had a lot to lose, but if... they somehow, <laughs> they pulled that one out. Uh, they pulled Indiana out. So now that you've got two and you've got a road winning streak going, I mean, Big, big Ten road wins have been so tough to come by on top of rank wins on the road. It's the kind of win that if you can get it, um, you know, it really changes the conversation about what this team is and what it can be. And if you don't, like, it's – people are going to get mad. Because they do. Because – but, like, my point is they shouldn't as much. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a ranked team and it's a loss that isn't going to look as bad. But as you mentioned, I think what they can gain from this game is huge. I mean – you're obviously have that home and home coming up with Michigan State and because the Big Ten is so close I mean I don't think you can say the winner of this game is going to win the conference because it's just so close but I think this game will have a giant impact on the conference and the seeding of course I think Marcel said last night that like they have this mindset they know that like the Big Ten is so tough this year but literally you lose one game you can go back four spots in the rankings and in um sorry not in the rankings in the standings and obviously drop in the in the rankings as well um so I mean, they win this game, like you said. I think it shows what they can be to beat a ranked team on the road, and I think it's a really, really positive sign for this season. Someone asked me on Twitter this week that we're going to have in our mailbag, and I'm still debating it in my head. I want to get your guys' take. Is getting a win at Illinois or at Michigan State more important? More important? Um, I feel like Michigan State is a bit more of a white whale in some ways. Um, that's a That's an arena where... Maryland has had big games before. I remember, I think it was last season, Maryland was running. Uh, they went into East Lansing with a bit of a winning streak going and then just got clobbered. And they've gotten clobbered in a few big-time games there. And that's a, I think that's a Saturday game that might be game day. And so, I mean, there, there's just sort of a bigger statement to be made winning that game. Um, you know, it's hard to say depending on, it depends on really whether Illinois or Michigan State closes better. And Michigan State... I think has a slightly easier schedule than Illinois does down the stretch, but yeah, who knows? But they have um, more road games. Yeah, if 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 they can get either one, I think fans will start talking about them a little differently. And that really helps seeding in March down the line either way. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. I'm really really excited for this game. What are the biggest other things you guys are looking to watch? I think one thing I'll say mine first. Back. Uh, at that game, which, you know, first of all, it was December 7th. That's literally the first game of conference play, so so much has changed. Um, and I think you can argue that Maryland is a lot better now, so, I mean, I don't know how that plays into things, but Maryland only had two points from the bench in that game. I mean, that was with Wiggins starting um, back before the switch, and they only shot 33% from the floor and 25.8% from deep. And so that's another game where their defense found the way to win. So if they can, I think if they can find a way to have their offense going in this game, I think that they can win it. Like, I don't, I think this is a game that Maryland can win. I think it's going to be a really tough, hard-fought game. But if their defense is on the same level it was when they first played Illinois, and if they can, you know, get the offense together a little bit, I, I think they can win this game. What are you guys looking for? I think it's a matchup of, again, Jalen Smith stopping Coburn this time. And I think Coburn had the upper hand last time, but... Smith has taken a completely different jump from even that late in the season. That was still a little bit early, but he's taken a jump since then. And I think that you just said it. I think Maryland can win this game, and it's, it's going to be another game where if Jalen Smith really performs, 
they're in the driver's seat. No one's no one's stopping that. So if anyone's going to stop it, I thought it would have been Luca Garza, and he didn't really stop it. Now I'm going to look to Co- for Coburn to stop Jalen Smith, and that's my biggest take from this is that Jalen Smith has another monster game. I think it, it's pretty simple to say the X factor is Daryl Morsell. Um I don't remember what he did against Illinois the first time off the he top of my 10. head. Maryland is 11-0 when he scores in double digits. And, and, I mean, you can see when he's playing well, they just look completely different as a team sometimes. And this is a, a team with a lot of really physical guards. I imagine they'll put him on Desumu. Um, You know, he's their best one-on-one defender. Desumu is, you know, Illinois' best one-on-one scorer, creator. Um, and if Morsell can get his offense going, it just changes almost everything for, um, you know, for Maryland ceiling on a night to night basis. So, you know, we saw what, you know, it looks like when Morsell is gets going against Rutgers and if he can do that, um, on the road, then Maryland's dangerous. All right. So as we wrap up here. Stay tuned for all of our coverage coming this week around that game. We're going to be doing some extra stuff because we know it is such a big matchup coming up. Predictions for this game. Obviously, it's not football. It's We haven't been doing predictions as much because it's harder to you know pinpoint the score. But with a game like this, I think I think we got to do it. I'm going Maryland wins 65-60. to 60. All right, what I was thinking was pretty similar. A um, medium scoring game. Yeah, I was thinking uh, 63, uh, 62, or no, sorry, 63, 61 Maryland. Vote could flip easily, but I, I think Maryland can do it. I, I think they're going to have confidence on the road after getting those first two wins. They're on this win streak. They're a much improved team from when they first played Illinois. I think they can pull it out. Well, we I know, can, Ken, we can't, I have Ken Palm, we can't, Ken Palm isn't in We can't all pick Maryland. So so Ken Palm, after the Wisconsin loss, I, I looked at... Well, I didn't Ken think Palm you were going to pick Maryland either way. Ken Palm favored Maryland all these games, but had Illinois as like a one-point favorite. And right now, Ken Palm predicts 66-65. I, I'm kind of... Yeah, p- predicts a one-point Illinois win, gives Maryland a 48% chance. You know, I'm, I'm kind of around there. Um, you know, it's, it's a ranked team on the road, and Maryland hasn't been winning these. Um, so I can't just go out and pick it, but man, they've got a chance. And I think if they play well enough, if they play okay, most of the year, if they've played okay, that they've been able to win. So, um, and that even goes for some of these road games. So I'm going to pick Illinois, but Maryland's got a real chance. Final score. Um, it's tough to do with, with, uh, this thing in front of me, but we'll go, 69-64. So you're going for a little bit higher scoring. A little. Well, you know, a five-point game is one of those where you get, like, free throws late. Oh, that's true. Yeah. All right. It's going to be a big game, big matchup, and we will have all of your coverage for that on studiotimes.com, on our Twitter. Be sure to message us any questions you have for our mailbag coming up, and we'll be sure to answer those. Thanks for tuning in. All right, cool. Sorry, I didn't know if you were